Hello, and welcome back to this, the Leading Language and Literature podcast, with me, Chris Jordan. Today I'm speaking with Mark Steed. Mark is Principal and CEO of Kellett School in Hong Kong. He's a regular speaker at the likes of the COBIS conference, has multiple articles published in TES, and remains a go-to voice for podcasters looking to discuss innovation for international teaching. Before I go on, I would just like to say a huge thank you to Mark for offering his time and insights, which ultimately led to an extremely enlightening conversation. Anyone who has plans to teach or lead abroad will hopefully find what he had to say very useful indeed. We discuss competitiveness in international recruitment, why teachers or leaders may need to reconsider their application approach, technological innovation inside and outside the classroom, the difference between British private schools and those found in Hong Kong, and advice for anyone looking to write more about the profession whilst maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Many, many thanks again to Mark for giving me the opportunity to talk with him today, and I wish him well, steering Keller further into the future. Okay, Mark, so as principal and CEO of uh, Kellett School in Hong Kong, when international teaching recruitment is so competitive, particularly in um, Hong Kong, the UAE and Asia more broadly, how do you go about building a lasting rapport between the staff and the school? Well, I think you're right. I mean, just to sort of you know, take the premise of the question, it, it, it's quite right that there is a growing recruitment crisis internationally. I mean, there's half a million uh, English-speaking teachers, additional teachers required by 2030. So in that context, I think schools need to develop their own talent. They need to look after their talent uh, and they need to do things to attract and, you know, sort of people to the organisation. Um, and I think that is a, the best way to do that is by looking after your own staff um, in terms of the packages that you've got, in terms of the the opportunities that you provide in terms particularly in terms of professional development um, and in terms of community and support which are really important in international communities um, I think they they need to to in a sense you have to develop a, a sort of recruitment brand for your school um, that says you know this is a professional learning community and I when I'm when I'm speaking with other school principals, you know, my advice is to give uh, put as much effort into the you know your marketing of your school to teachers and to the sort of profession as you do putting in trying to recruit students to your school. Um, and I think there are ways that you can you can do that. So you know, one of the one of the ways we we do it at Kellett is that you know we, we've got uh, a LinkedIn group which is um, for past and present you know, members of staff at Kellett, um, the aim to produce a sort of the equivalent of an alumni association, if you like, for, mm. for a school like Kellett. I mean, we, I mean, we're fortunate. A lot of people go on from this school to into leadership roles around the world. I mean, I've got two of my senior school staff this year uh, the head of science and the deputy head pastoral are both going off to be uh, head teachers. Uh, uh, one's going to to Hangzhou and one's going to to Patna in in Bangkok. 
And uh, that's really important. You don't want to lose touch with these people. You know, Kellett's been a really formative part of their career development. Um, it's an important part of their journey. And I think that, that schools need to do that. And I think part of it is that I suppose that there are diff two different philosophies around, around talent management in education. Uh, one is a sort of, you know, grab all the talent you've got and squeeze as tight as you can and don't let them go. And <laughs> the other one is to become a sort of talent pipeline. Hmm. And I, I, I've always taken the latter view. I think, you know, people have been, you know, always come willing to come and work with me and the schools I've been because I think I see it very much as poor part and important part of my role to actually sort of look after their careers and help them on to the next stage. And um, there's a really, a really good book called The Alliance, which was written by the founder of LinkedIn. And in that, he talks about this new relationship between employers and employees. And you know, he talks about tours of duty. So um, when I recruit, you know, sort of say a deputy head, you know, I might say, well, look, come and work for us for three years. Um, we will develop you. You will bring a lot to the party. You will get involved in a lot of projects. You'll give us a lot of new ideas. You'll refresh what we're doing. And at the end of that, you know, we, we know, obviously there might be another tour of duty in the school or there might be, you know, there might be that we, we part friends and you move on to your next, your next posting. And I think that sort of approach to, to management at every level, whether it's senior leadership roles or whether it's in terms of middle leadership roles, I think it's really important. Um, and I think that sort of idea of developing staff is, is, is really important. And I'm I'm fortunate that I you know I have three head teachers who run the schools at Kellett. And one of the things that I can devote some time to is that is that talent management of particularly of my senior team. Um, and you know, help them and give them opportunities to, to, to gain the experience that will allow them to take the next step. And I suppose that's a two-way relationship because obviously they they obviously put a lot of time, energy, and effort into what they're doing at Kellett. So, so that's really sort of my philosophy around how you how you manage that. And I think as a school, you know, it's part of. I mean, Kellett's profile is because I think we are genuinely part of the conversation. Um, you know, I encourage my my senior team to to write. I encourage them to to be speaking at conferences when we get conferences back and at the moment doing webinars and so on. So I think that that approach, I think, of being outward facing, being involved in the debates, I think is, is really important. And, you know, I, I, I tend to use the sort of contacts I've got to introduce my senior team so they can, you know, have those opportunities to, to write and uh, be involved in, in, in conferences and so on. I think that's a really valuable balance to strike, actually. Sometimes I've, I've lived in Hong Kong for maybe seven or eight years, and sometimes speaking informally to people, you do get feedback about certain international schools where there is no moves into management. There is There are no moves into line manage, managing people. And then by by the same virtue, you, you hear about other schools where someone joins as a class teacher and they head a department within 18 months. And I think both of those situations don't exactly strike um 
um, strike me as, as somewhere who, you know, a place where I'd be passionate to to join as someone living in Hong Kong or coming over from the UK. So I think that's a really valuable balance to strike saying, you know, there will be opportunities here and we, you know, we, we love you, but we're willing to let you go once, um, um, you know, you, you've found something that you can move onwards and upwards towards. That's fantastic. Um, you've recently written uh, a TES article that um, talks about uh, future teachers perhaps needing to look more to technological methods when demonstrating their capability to employers. Um, what will come to replace or, or supplement the CV and cover letter, in your opinion? So I, I, I think that yeah, we're still handling quite sort of old-fashioned technology, really, over the sort of even with you know even though we've done you know we, we think we're quite neat because we've moved you know application forms into being you know electronic and people fill them in online mm. and we're sort of saying well that's isn't that neat you know we don't have to mm. sort of type them out anymore in quite the same way. Um, but I think it's 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 really there's so many more opportunities and. I think one of the things that COVID's thrown up, where we've effectively done two years of recruiting without actually seeing teachers teach in the classroom or um, or actually being able to visit the school in, in many cases. So I think we're in a situation where I think people need to put together a digital portfolio um, and to, to, to collate and curate their own, their own career in a, in a way. Um, and that might be at a primary level of recording every single sort of classroom display you do, and you you have a, a sort of digital gallery of, of that. Um, it might be around you know curating some of your 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 lesson plans or videos of your of your lessons. I mean, you've got to be quite slightly careful around videos in terms of child protection issues and permission issues. But I think again those sorts of things. Certainly if you're running a CPD session for, for colleagues or speaking at a conference and so on, those sorts of videos are worth doing. So I would you know, encourage people to have their own sort of YouTube channel, even if you keep it private, in order to sort of capture and curate those experiences. Um, I think that there's, I mean, there's scope, for example, to hyperlink in um things that you've done into your into your letter application in fact when i applied for this job um one of the things that kellett wanted was somebody who who had a bit of a international profile in terms of speaking at conferences and writing so i actually hyperlinked into my cv um clips of me speaking at conferences um i hyperlinked in some some articles i'd written for tes and other publications um, just to sort of give them a feel for it, because they wouldn't necessarily have heard of me as a governor and so on, um, but it would give them an idea of what they were getting. Um, and I think that was probably quite helpful insofar as they, you know, they, they can see you in action before they even sort of approach you and ask you for interview. So I think that sort of approach is really important, and I think it's important for teachers to do that. So one of the projects we're working on here at uh, Kellett at the moment is... Um, that every teacher would have a, a digital portfolio. Um, and for those who, who are a little bit reticent around that, we're going to provide a, a sort of Google Sites template for them to do it, um, which might have some headings they could put stuff in. Um, but also it would be, you know, some, obviously some of them already got them 
Um, and you know, we've got we've got some very talented staff here. We've got you know who have got monetized YouTube channels and are doing very well. Oh, really? So, um, you know, I think that some of those sorts of things are really good. Wow. So I think, you know, and I, I think that sort of idea of, in a sense, developing your own sort of and curating your own personal professional brand, I think is quite good, really. I mean, I, you know, I think it's, I mean, I, I do mine on LinkedIn, you know, I mean, it's got, I link in the articles I write, um, I, I sometimes put conference speeches in there. You know, it's it's more than just a CV. It's 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 sort of a dynamic sort of portfolio of, of stuff I do. Now, obviously, you can't put lessons up on a LinkedIn one in quite the same way, but you you certainly could 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 get involved in the conversation. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, I if I'm interviewing people, I will usually look them up on LinkedIn and. Twitter and so on. I, I don't do tend to do Facebook because that tends to be personal. But people do run professional Twitter feeds and you know that relates to their professional work and and LinkedIn profiles. So I, I do see where they are on, on those sorts of things, and I think that's quite a helpful insight really into to how they interact within the profession. I think yeah, particularly with people who've got ambitions to teach internationally, um, given the fact that. Obviously, air travel is all but at a standstill at the moment uh, for the next few years perhaps that is going to be the only possible way for um, recruiters or um, potential uh, like teachers to to demonstrate what they they can do in the classroom I can't I can't see that being um, unless perhaps in the UK if you live in London and you want to work in Edinburgh like that that would be a possibility but yeah I think that's certainly food for thought for everyone who wants to you know, move from country to country, whether it's the UK or or elsewhere. Um, in uh, in your position at uh, Jess in the UAE, uh, you spoke at length uh, about innovation inside and outside the classroom. I saw a few things on on YouTube and a couple of different podcasts. Is there any one technological innovation that you think will come to prominence across? all subjects and year levels in the future? I mean, obviously budgets and finance permitting. Or do you think some lessons are just, or some subjects are just destined to maintain their current course? I, th- I think I think the key key question is in terms of educational technology um, that hasn't really been answered in a satisfactory way across, you know, the whole, you know, sort of 20 years since we've been playing with this stuff. Mm. is you know how are we going to capture learning and you know i think that you know for a long time you know we thought it was quite cool that people actually you know teachers could could sort of put lessons onto powerpoint and capture their teaching on powerpoint and that students might capture their learning in a word document and Mm. we we'd call that the embracing technology but i think i think things have moved on significantly and i think there are lots of different ways that we can capture learning um and I think that you know, so we you know, there's nothing to say that you know a podcast or you know a video or um, a recorded teacher leaving a recorded comment on a piece of work or a student submitting, I mean, submitting a piece of work that is in a totally different format to the one the teacher perhaps expected. Going back to my time at Berkhamsted, so this is this is going back to like. 2006 or something i remember Mm. a a girl in the sixth form there was set a christmas task to write a response to a a french um novel 
um, which was uh, Rome and Juliet, Romeo and Juliet, you know, as, as a play. And she actually did it as uh, an animated cartoon uh, mm. rather than writing an essay. And it was an extraordinary piece of work because it was in French. It was very well, well, very well constructed in terms of its animation technology, particularly for, for you know, for 20, 2006. Um, and, and it showed a command of that piece of that, that piece of literature. Uh, it showed she'd got practical skills in terms of being able to speak in French and to animate at a high level. Um, and arguably it was a much, much better piece than somebody just writing an AS level essay. Um, and I think that the, the big elephant in the room here is the, is the examination system. Um, and because you're not assessed that way, because you have still have to sit in rows in silence, you know, without the use of technology and write a, an essay for, for that sort of subject, that, that we've actually got to the point where we, we sort of focus too much on that. And I think one of the things I hope will happen over the next few years, and I think our employers have been hoping this will happen for the past 10, is that, you know, to some extent, the examination system will collapse and that we, we end up with people producing, students producing their own portfolio of their skills and experiences and, and how they captured knowledge. Um, and in that context, the girl who writes, you know, makes an animation response to, you know, a, a, a sort of a, an essay on a piece of French literature is, is, I think, in a much stronger position than somebody who just sort of churn, churns out, you know, two and a half thousand words. And I think that those skills that, you know, demonstrating stuff will become more important. So I'm, I'm very keen that as a school, we prepare young people for, for that world, a world where the examinations are taken away and that we end up with a, a world where they can still demonstrate learning, that you know, they are actually recording learning, now they, but they might do it in a different way to just being able to write an essay. Because, you know, short of writing the odd article for TES, you know, you don't actually write an essay very often. Um, you know, as an adult, you know, very few people choose to write. I mean, I do it quite a lot. I like write. I mean, I, I, I write a lot of essays <laughs> still, and it feels like I've got an essay deadline and, and so on when every time I do. But it, but for most people, that isn't how they operate, you know. And, and this podcast is a good example, you know. I mean, here we are capturing, to some extent, learning, insights, whatever, um, in a way that isn't in the form of, you know, sort of a, a you know fifteen hundred word article, um, and and there's a lot more to it, and it's more flexible, and it, you know people will will no doubt listen to this podcast in very different contexts, and and that approach needs to be extended into education. But as I say, the the block on this is is the exam system, but you know I think there's there's sort of certainly some early signs that we might be moving to different modes of capturing learning and and then of course what goes with that is how you how you then to some extent certificate you know measure learning and then how you certificate it. I think yeah the IB have certainly tried to move towards that at least at DP level with regard to they, they want a quote-unquote learner portfolio to be included but it's very much a, uh, for lack of a better word, it's a little bit perfunctory. I feel in some schools who 
feel like it's an opportunity just to record down everything they've done as opposed to create something which is a synthesis of what they've learned but hopefully that's there's there's green shoots there for 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 thinking in the future yeah um um so coming back to keller as 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 a school or as a um as a institution to what extent can keller uh, or a similar school in hong kong be modeled after private or boarding schools in the UK, such as the ones you've you've previously worked at and mentioned, and what are the limitations or differences of attempting to achieve this that you've run run into in Hong Kong? Well, I think the independent sector in the UK, you know, has got a lot of things right. I mean, it's, it's generally incredibly well thought of um, in terms of you know. It's stand the standards of learning both inside and particularly outside the classroom. So I think one of the big sort of lessons learned about independent schools in the UK, whether they're boarding or day, but particularly boarding, is that they 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 see schooling as not just about academic education. They see it about as developing the whole person. And then they throw in a third angle, which is around high levels of pastoral care. And I think that that approach of sort of the academic, the pastoral and the co-curricular, I think, is, is, is a really important formula. And I think it sort of gets lost a bit, you know, in in other systems around the world. And to some extent, I mean, one of the strengths of the IB is that it recognises that there, you know, there are these other aspects, you know, like the sort of CAS aspect to it that, you know, that that is about, you know, sort of a broader person than just an academic education. Um, but the, I think the problem with the IB in that sense is that it, it doesn't really give a lot of leave a lot of time to really develop where you are. So. I think, you know, it's quite nice to be having run a DP school to come back to running an A-level school where we've got time to put some really interesting stuff on our curriculum. Um, so I think those sorts of things, it's that, and I, I think the other the other thing that the independent sector has, has got in the UK is it doesn't sort of run in tram lines. It actually thinks out of the box. So, I mean, some of the things that that I learned from, from being in that sector was that, you, you know, you can invent new subjects. Mm. Um, so, I mean, you know, every sixth former at, uh, at, uh, at Kellett studies uh, for a sixth form mini MBA programme. And we mm. teach them the basis of how business works, you know, how to read balance sheets, you know, how, how to how to sort of read accounts in, you know, the different forms of balance sheet and uh, cash flow and so on, how to do marketing, how to do business strategy. We do a whole unit on personal impact and presence around the workplace, um, how to, you know, how to present yourself in different contexts, you know, how you present yourself online, how you present yourself in a meeting, how you present yourself um, when giving a presentation and so on. Um, and those sorts of wider skills, I think, are, are really, really important. I, I mean, we've just brought into our year seven and eight curriculum a subject we're calling innovation, which is around teamwork and problem solving and um, collaboration, where we give them some tasks and they've got to come up with innovative solutions to those. Um, those and they're different sorts of tasks. I mean, one of them might be designing flat pack furniture and then pitching 
for why their design is the best design and then then making it up and having it around the school or it might be around trying to solve issues around how we might reduce plastic in the oceans and, and so on. So you, you can set different sorts of, of tasks for, for students to, to really work on. And I think uncoupling that those learning and skill perform things from an examination sort of framework that says you've got to get a set of GCSEs, you've got to get your IDB diploma or your A-levels or whatever, and then go off and get a degree and actually say, well, actually, school's about learning in, in a broader mm. sense. I think that freedom comes out of the independent sector where you say, well, actually, we're going to, you know, educate, you know, you, you in a broader sense of the word. And I think, you know, when you look at, you know, I, I think one of the interesting things about the workplace these days is, so, you know, my, my son's, you know, finished at Oxford in the summer. He, you know, he got an absolute A-star record all the way through school. But he, the job he got, he didn't get asked a single question about anything he'd learned at school or at university. You know, what he was, what got him the job was around the stuff that he'd learned by osmosis or outside the classroom. It, you know, it was the sort of, you know, leadership that come out of being in the cadet force or, some of the the sort of projects you've done with young enterprise or and it's other areas you know working on a you know consultancy project at oxford university you know, helping other people you know these sorts of things these extracurricular things were the things that got him the job rather than the the academic sort of profile and i think that's that's the challenge i think that that the education throws up and i think the independent sector is very good at stepping in and saying, well, actually, we'll take that challenge up. So, so when it's criticised for having very high levels of people in, you know, in senior ranks in society, it isn't just because of nepotism. It is because actually they've developed a, a skill set and for, for their age, every single age, they've developed skills that, that, that are beyond the skills that, that, you know, that somebody coming out of the maintained sector might have had. And I, and I say that as somebody, you know, you know who, who comes out of, you know, the maintained sector. In fact, you know, was, you know, one of those weird statistics of being on free school meals and got into Oxbridge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I come at it totally from a non-privileged background, but I can see, having worked in that sector, what wealth of education that they have um, because of, that philosophy of education. I think going back to something you mentioned a few a few moments ago with with regard to CAS, um, I think it's a lovely initiative, and I think they have something similar in the NYP curriculum as well, the project or something. But time and time again, what I've run into is that students see it as something to be done. It, it's something that um, has to be completed in order not to be red faced once your diploma um, um, results get um, released. You know, there's a running joke that I got a 45, but I failed CAS. And um, sometimes I'm not saying I've witnessed students do amazing things, incredible kind of charitable, creative um, experiences, and they, they do the presentations and I believe them wholeheartedly. But some of the ones, some of the students that I've worked with, I, I do feel like it's, it's quite a push uh, in Hong Kong to get them to understand that, this has value outside of the diploma program itself. Um, I think so, that, that's a challenge in society. And I think yeah. it's partly a challenge there because what worked for 
people's parents, you know, I mean, I got a good set of, you know, GCSE results, A-level rights, diploma, I got a good degree, I got a good job, I've had a good life and successful, isn't going to work for this generation. Mm. You know, you're going to have to go up there. Um, and, you know, in the context of the, you know, some of the biggest employers in the world do it pretty much blind these days. You know, they're not going to know where you went to university or where you went to school or even what degree result you've got. You're going to sit there and do some of their own tests and come out the other end. And so it's going to be a very different playing field that, you know, you ended up getting shortlisted because, you you know, you went to a Russell Group University. Um, it's just going to come out, it's all going to fall very differently going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly food for thought. Um, okay, uh, lastly, uh, you are um, a very prolific writer by, uh, I think, principal or CEO standard, certainly, and a speaker across multiple platforms. Uh, people can read um, your stuff on Tez. Uh, you've got YouTube. I've recently heard you on a podcast with Simon Noakes, amongst other people. What advice do you have for those who find it hard to walk away from the phone or the tablet or the laptop come the evening? Well, I think, I think it's, I mean, I, I, I write, you know, I've found writing for pleasure is sort of filled in from playing sport when my body gave up on being allowing me to do all the other stuff. So um, I, I, I enjoy writing for, for pleasure, but I, I think, yeah, I do, I do get, you know, I'm lucky enough to get a lot of stuff published and, and, and end up in, in you know in in articles and speaking at conferences but you know it wasn't always that way and I you know I actually ran a blog in you know uh, for for 10 years before I had a single article published you know in in, in those sorts of things so it, you know it, it's it's the old story that actually you know it isn't you know the more you practice the luckier you get on this you know um and I, I come at this for you know I mean you know I don't tell many people this, but I'll put it out there. I mean, I, I got a, I got a C in English language at school. You know, I'm not, I'm not a writer. I find it extraordinary that people, you know, I mean, my English teacher would be absolutely gobsmacked, you know, to think that I actually write stuff, you know. And I, I think that's probably because I was dyslexic, although they hadn't invented it when I was going through school. Um, and and you know, I have really grappled with, you know, with with writing. I've always been better at speaking um I've always been been confident speaking but um and I think it's taken me a lot of time to to develop my my you know sort of style of writing and to actually to to do that so I, I, you know I think it's it, it's one of those things you can sort of work out but if yeah for me it's sort of become a bit of a hobby really. I enjoy I enjoy writing um I enjoy the debates you know I think this is a really formative part of you know, in, in, in the sort of history of education, you know, we're actually getting to the point where, you know, ed tech actually might do something and be useful. And also, the, the, you know, the, this exam system might actually not be fit for purpose and be recognised as such. So I think it's, it's, it's a really interesting. So where this debate goes, when you, when you look into the debates around the future of work, and you know the, the the future of or possible sort of reduction of the professions and so on. This sort of model of you know education that says yes, you go off and you you get your degree and then you become one of the professions and you'll be rich and you know, you'll live a happy life isn't how it's going to work. So I think that debate and being part of that you know is 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 quite fun. Um, 
and it, you know it doesn't make you popular because i mean people people don't necessarily like that view because it it's because it worked for them and they feel safe with it but mm-hmm. and the idea that the world might be changing quite fundamentally you know and that's before we get into the whole debate about ai coming in and, and sort of automating you know quite serious jobs up um you know i think those debates become really important so I, I would I would encourage people to to get involved, um, and the way to do that, I think, is, you know, to dip your toe in is to follow the debates on Twitter and LinkedIn, to to actually get involved if bit, you know, throw a few comments up there, see how it goes, yeah. test the water, um, <laughs> you know, write a few articles, you know, and you know, and, and see how it goes. But start your own blog, practice, you know, and put your own ideas down and, you know, record your own learning. I mean, I, one of the disciplines I have when I read a, a sort of serious book rather than a novel is to is to try and summarise it. And I, I summarise them on my blog. As much for me as anyone, you know, I just, you know, you read a book and you think, okay, so, um, you know, you, you read, I mean, the, the, I'm recently I've just read Flourish by Martin Seligman. It's obviously mm. the basis of, the whole sort of well-being and the underlying philosophy behind sort of positively colour and so on. And yeah, you know, you know, I wanted to capture that, you know, so I, I put a summary on my blog. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know how many people will ever read it, but I, I know it's there and it's really useful, but it was, yeah. it was good. I went away and read it as a result of actually hearing you speak about it. So yeah, at least uh, you inspired me. Oh, that's good. But it's, you know, I think, it, I think that that's, that's an important part of it, but, I think my wife would say I just need to sort of switch off a bit more, you know. And uh, well, that—that's the question. How do you do it? Because tw- Twitter is just a perpetual stream of information, and I found myself this morning giving the exact same uh, piece of advice as, as you did then with regard to Twitter, and the 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 reaction <coughs> from the teacher was, oh, "I can't like it's full of negativity. I'll get addicted to it." And I said, "Well, if you only follow the the the, the teachers." You'll come across the odd political opinion, maybe, which you've got to look past if you're not interested in that. But I think it's a really valuable resource. But how do you how do you find ways to disengage? Because it's the phone, the tablet, the laptop, it's always there. Um, how, how do you sort of uh, live with putting it down for an extended period of time? Well, I, I think I think you just have to. So I will go through through periods where I would just um it, I tend to turn all the notifications off for a week. Mm. So, 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 a couple of weeks in the summer, I will, I will up, turn all the notifications off. So, all those little enticing little red dots mm. don't don't come up. Um, that say, yeah, you've been, you know, somebody's there's the notifications, and I think that that helps. And I, I think that we, you know, we do need to realise that, you know, this stuff is, you know, if you're always on, it is shattering. Yeah. So I think you, you have to sort of slightly find time to, to get away from it. Um, I, I think one of the interesting things that my wife and I do is that we, when we go out for dinner and stuff, you know, we, you know, one of us won't take a phone. We're used mm-hmm. to a phone because you, you need it to get there and sometimes you need it to pay. But, you know, it goes away. You know, it will go in her handbag sort of type thing. And then, you know, you actually have an evening when, you know you're disconnected and i think that's that's really important too that 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 one of the one of the things um i'm i'm about to speak about at a conference in a couple of weeks time is you know that about um 
for school principals um, at the, the COVID school principals conference is um, to, you know, leaders need to put, you know, put your oxygen mask on first before helping others. And I think that one of the biggest themes that's, that's coming through the last 18 months has been the extent to which leaders have been in very stressful situations. And I think the ones who have coped are the ones who've been able to, to look after themselves well enough to be able to lead well. Um, I mean, there's, the sort of travel disasters have two... Two, two, there are two models of leadership that come out of travel disasters. One is, um, you know, the Titanic model, where you know the captain's, the you know, sort of, the, you know, sort of, the, 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 you know, is uh, sort of, you know, always there, the ship, last yeah. to leave the ship. You know, which, you know, some heads are the last to leave their building. You know, sort mm-hmm. of thing, and they see that as a real badge of honor. And you know, and you know, but you know, you do end up drowning. Um, and then there is the sort of the aviation model where you you know you put your oxygen mask on first, and I think you do have to do that. I mean, I, I mean for me that means going to bed early three nights a week because you know I'm getting to the point where I, if I'm tired I make really bad decisions, and um, so I, I think we we need you need to do that, and you know you have to prioritize to some extent your own well-being in order to be able to make the right decisions for an organisation, particularly when you're dealing with stress. So I, I, I think this stuff does need managing, definitely. Okay. Um, that's all uh, I've got for you today, Mark. Once again, thank you very much for um, giving us so many insights and uh, allowing us to tap into your experience. There's there's not a wealth of knowledge out there at the moment, given the fact that, as you say, by 2030, we're going to need, um, or the international community is going to need a lot more English as a medium uh, of delivery speakers, teachers. So hopefully um, some of these insights will go some way to, uh, yeah, um, inspiring people to um, become better educators, better teachers and more well-traveled people. Yeah, definitely. Thank you well, very been, much. It's been a pleasure, Chris. Thanks for your time. Okay. Cheers.